Ministry of Extraction sheds light on the various interactions connected to the extraction phase of the seed to consumption journey. What we do here at Ministry of Extraction is hold conversations with scientists, inventors, engineers, marketers, chemists, farmers, legal teams, and visionaries to understand various approaches and interactions with cannabis plants, and most importantly, human factor throughout the extraction experience. I can't wait to dive into this rabbit hole, right? Because we've been, we've been rapping going back and forth for a couple of weeks now. So I'm totally stoked to have you here today, Jay. Uh, and we'll, we'll do some, some quick introductions. And also, Dave, man, <laughs> we've had so many, you know, under the radar conversations. No one knows about them. And today we finally get to record something and get to share with people. So I'm totally stoked to be here with you, man. Yeah, no, it's totally great to be here with both you guys. It. So this is exciting. It's amazing. I definitely appreciate so it. So our, our audience uh, for Ministry of Extraction is, is an array, is in a spectrum of different parts of the industry. Full spectrum. Full spectrum, <laughs> right? So, you know, even though we, the, at the core and at the middle of the process of seed to consumption journey, we focus on the extraction, a big part that is completely gray is the legal space, right? And at the end of the day, a lot of companies, individuals, public, private entities from small garage companies, right? Two guys with uh, a very long beard and some beer starting, you know, an extraction process maybe, or wanting to do some vape pens or wanting to do a CBD, you know, capsule that they're putting together <laughs> with, their, with some white gloves, you know, and a, chem, uh, a chemistry jacket all the way to big pharma, right? Um, the legality, understanding, and knowledge is super important. So today we're going to be dropping a lot of, you know, truth bombs um, and legal bombs that, that we hope everyone's going to be able to consume and, and hopefully uh, provide some clarity. But at the end of the day, you know, full disclosure, uh, you know, this is not a legal device, right, or a legal advice uh, to our, to our uh, listeners. Um, but of course, you know, if you, if you guys ever have any questions listening, um, you can always reach out to Jay. Uh, we'll, we'll have those emails and phone numbers and websites that um, you can further um, have those conversations. So without further ado, let's just drop into, you know, please, Jay, I would love to know, before we get into the legal, the, 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 the legal aspect of the conversation, uh, you know, share with me where are you from, and then also maybe the story of how um, you, you've become focused in the hemp industry from a legal perspective. Sure. First off, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to be in Las Vegas and, um, you know, meeting with various industry leaders and guys like yourself who are doing good things. And um, so I'm from New York. Long Island, if you can't tell from yeah. my, my accent already. Yeah, Oyster Bay, where are you from? I'm from Massapequa originally. Okay, okay. So Nassau County. Um, but, yeah, so graduated law school about four years ago. And I actually didn't start off in this industry. I started off personal injury, uh, car accidents, trip and falls, sure. things like that. And That's a high-volume segment, right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of where I learned how to write motions, how to go to court, what to do, the process, um, you know, how to negotiate. So, like, the basics of, of law, how to research cases, really get some practical experience. And then about two years in, uh, I was at the gym, uh, 
big practicing into, that one-two Mayweather? Or what? Well, I'm big into bodybuilding. <laughs> I like fitness. I've been working out since I'm about 14 years old, played football and lacrosse growing up. Then I got into bodybuilding and weightlifting. And I was going to the gym, and I met uh, Mark Gann, who's another attorney. He's one of the founding attorneys at the firm that I'm at now. And we were friends for about two years, um, looked up to him as another attorney who had a lot more experience than I do. Um, he was highly regarded in Nassau County and Long Island as a leading attorney in the criminal field. And he explained to me that the other aspect of their work, along with one of the other partners, Rick Collins, is that they counsel and represent dietary supplement companies sports nutrition companies, companies that are into the bodybuilding industry, all the way down to herbal companies making products that everyday consumers can take. And, I mean, when I was in law school, that was a dream come true. Uh, right. They were telling me I could be an attorney for these companies that I follow on social media, that I buy their products right, already, yeah. that I, I attend these shows as, as a fan. Um, when you were when you were purchasing these products, were you looking at the the labels and stuff? What were you looking for? So I would say that I was a little more uh, a, a little more of an informed consumer than most people that just start. Uh, I'd been doing it since I'm 14, taking protein powders, you know, creatine, uh, multivitamins. So I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn what was in these products from a, a when I was young and and what can these products do for me. So, yeah, I looked at the labels, um, not as closely as I do now, for sure, uh, now that I know all the nuances and the different things that go into the product and what a label should look like and, and how the format should be and what's required to be on the label. But, yes, I, I, looked, at the, I looked at the labels. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah when, they, when they asked me to come on board, it was, it was kind of a no-brainer. Um, and I joined up, and that's about a year and a half ago. And from that, when I joined one of the of council attorneys who's been doing this for over 25 years, Alan Feldstein, said one of the things that you need to start learning about is CBD. And I said, well, I mean, I don't even know the regular laws for dietary supplements. Did Unless you know about CBD before him asking you? I, I didn't. I, I wasn't well-versed in the cannabis kind of industry or... At that point, it wasn't really an industry. It was more of like a social yeah. kind of thing. Subculture, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't well-versed in that at all. But when he said, you need to learn everything you can about CBD, so I said, all right. So that was one of my first assignments, learn everything I could. So you were like, Siri, what is CBD? Uh, one of the first things I did was a Google search. I mean, who doesn't? Right. When you're learning something new, you want to get on there, get a little background, get familiar with uh what, what it is that you're about to delve more deeply into. So I started learning. And, um, you know, I'm happy to say that after a little bit of a learning curve, the first two, three months, uh, I mean, I couldn't be happier. So, yeah, it's a little long introduction. Right on. No, I love that. It, that yeah, that's, yeah. That's a little no, bit. That's, that's, a, that's a great story. You know, and it's um, you're very fortunate to be, you know, kind of doing a full circle around being passionate about, you know, consuming sports nutrition and supplements and, you know, being active, having that sort of lifestyle and then putting that in a, in a special place within your career, right? And I mean, look at the outlook. I mean, this is, this is growing and it's growing very fast. Uh, and we'll get into, you know, the, the sort of uh, 
types of customers that have come to you, you know, with, with their needs and, and how you guys have um, found solutions for them. Uh, but really quickly, Dave, um, you know, I'd, I'd love uh, to hear <laughs> your background as well, brother. I know you, you go deep into supplements, um, into the science. Um, so I, w- I would love to hear a little bit about yourself. Yeah, way back, about 30 years back. Um, only 30 years, Only right? 30 years with one of the uh, original Whole Foods stores in California. And then moving forward. So everything from, to make it simple, from the front end of the industry of working in a store to the back end of the industry, I've done everything from sourcing and selling raw materials, contract manufacturing of supplements, working for brands, um, retailing and e-commerce, and everything in between. And what caught my interest most recently in the last few years is I've been helping companies. So right now, um, I'm going to mention Fuelixer Labs, uh, reached out and was asking some questions about specifically CBD for some plant-based options that they're doing. The very first thing I did is I called Rick Collins, who, because of bodybuilding, because of my background in the sports nutrition industry, and Rick was fantastic. Within 30 seconds, he's like, perfect. Let me put Jay on the phone. <laughs> he's like, I got my CBD expert here. And I'm like, you guys have a CBD expert. Right. We do. And that's when I met Jay, um, and he blew me away. And you're going to find out as this podcast goes forward exactly why I was blown away. Because the information and the knowledge that these guys have of every aspect, like these guys are truly the legal experts when it comes to dietary supplements, period. And then with the CBD, this is to me, it was brand new. And I thought going into the conversation with them, I might know more than this guy. Boy, that that went away really quick. Within about the first 30 seconds of the call, I knew that I was talking to the right people. I've been following uh, you know, the, well, the cannabis industry for, for a while now, for a long time, specifically CBD for sports nutrition. Started you know, searching and, and doing research on those keywords for a few years, right? So um, every time I went to a, either a GNC, I was seeing if it was popping up or not. Eventually in Las Vegas, uh, cannabis became recreationally legalized. So I was able to go into dispensaries and I would go and look for you know, supplements that contain CBD, because now there's a lot of soft gels and capsules that have CBD, MCT oil, um, and several you know different types of blends. And what was interesting to me about these supplements, there's a very, I mean, black and white supplement label between what you see in dispensaries and what you see at, at a GNC, right? So um, let's go, let, let's go and, and kind of um, get into this conversation, right? That that we kind of wanted to have. And we can drop with that. To blow the barn door open, the very first question to Jay, and this is like, sorry to punch you in the face with this, but what is the current legal status of CBD for dietary supplements? Definitely a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So like we said in the beginning, not legal advice. Um, I urge anybody looking to get into this industry to read the regulations for yourself. Um, contact an attorney, make sure that you learn as much as you can before just jumping into something like this. Um, So there's a few different considerations. We have the DEA, uh, Drug Enforcement Agency. We have the FDA. Then we have individual states. From the DEA side, um, when I first started learning about this, it was that CBD was a controlled substance. Schedule one, that's it. Now, with the recent approval of Epidiolex, 
they've removed CBD that's within an FDA-approved drug from Schedule 1 to, I believe, Schedule 4. Um, so that changes things a little bit from that perspective. But in the DEA's mind, any cannabinoid is still considered Schedule 1 unless it comes from the parts of the plant that are excluded from the definition of marijuana or cannabis. Um, that's the seeds that are incapable of germinating and the mature stalks of the plant. Um, from, from that part of the hemp plant or the cannabis plant, from what I understand, you're not going to derive uh, a practical amount of CBD. So if you're going into the mature stalk or the seeds, you're not really going to get a whole lot of the end product that consumers are looking for. So that really comes from, I believe, the flowering parts of the plant. FDA, as we all know, the FDA is the food drug, food, drugs, and cosmetics. They're in, in control of those kinds of consumer goods. From their perspective, CBD is also not considered a dietary supplement. And whether that means that CBD, the compound itself, is not a dietary supplement, or hemp extract, is that a dietary supplement? Those are all questions that are kind of fleshing out. So I, I know both of you have heard of the Farm Bill, uh, 2014 Farm Absolutely. Bill. Absolutely. And if you speak to a lot of people within this industry, they point to that as being the bill that legalized CBD. Yeah. It's their flag. Exactly. Um, it was a definite win. It was a good thing for the industry. But if you read the farm bill, it, it doesn't mention CBD. Um, it doesn't mention extracting a compound from the plant. It really just talks about the legalization of cultivating industrial hemp for purposes of research. And that research is done under, within the Farm Bill, it states either a university or a state-sponsored program. So when people point to the 2014 Farm Bill, not exactly giving you the full green light to go and sell CBD. Some people will argue, and it's a, a, a valid argument, that if you're extracting CBD from the hemp plant and then studying sales figures, for example, under a university or, or state-sponsored program, does that count? Uh, there hasn't been any court cases that I've seen where, where that's been fleshed out. But I think we're getting really specific here. The overall picture is that right now there's a lot of things that are moving and, and constantly changing. I mean, we could talk this week, and then in two weeks something could be completely different. I know you know that the 2018 Farm Bill is also close to either, either making its way through or, or it, it's in the works. And what the 2018 Farm Bill would do is one of the components within that overall bill is that 
hemp would be removed from the scheduling completely. So no more of the schedule one for cannabinoids and schedule four for FDA approved cannabinoids. It would remove the plant, the hemp plant ex itself from the controlled substances list. And that would be huge and it would eliminate part of this conversation. But we don't know how that's going to shake out yet. Sure. Anybody listening to the podcast, if they're not a member, somebody working in our industry and they walk through any of this stuff, they're going to say, wait a minute, you guys are discussing something that's illegal. But I just went to three major industry events where there are big, you know, medium-sized, big to medium-sized companies selling the product that you just said can't be sold. Millions too, right? I mean, we're talking about like 40 million, 20 million revenue a year. Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> you ever try to put toothpaste back in a tube? I did one time. Did it work? No. All right. So from that perspective, is FDA and DEA actually able to pull this back now that the consumer demand is so high? Right. So many companies are involved in it. Uh, we the people. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. Also, is it on their top priority of things to enforce against? From a DEA perspective, in my opinion, I, I feel like they're concerned with some bigger issues, opioid em epidemic, uh, fentanyl analogs, people overdosing and dying. I think that's more of a top priority for enforcement. You got to remember that these agencies have budgets, they have limited resources, they have limited ways that they could enforce against different products and companies. So they need to select what's uh, what's the most concerning to consumers, what's going to hurt a consumer. And FDA is most concerned with safety. And I don't have to explain to you guys, but the safety profile of CBD seems to be pretty well documented as being safe. Uh, the World Health Organization has stated that it doesn't have abuse potential, that it's relatively safe, which are all good things. Um, we have an FDA-approved version of CBD in Epidiolex. So the safety seems to be there whether or not it could be sold as a dietary supplement and a consumer product by ordinary companies, that's where it gets tricky. And that's where, I mean, a kind of a crossover is in the world of dietary supplements in general, if we were at any trade show like this one, and there's a, like a pre-workout or a fat burner and they're going to have Fenibut in it, right? Yeah. Or they're going to have some other ingredient that's what we would call a gray area, not necessarily legal, not 100% illegal. I'm not sure on that. But if I'm putting together a pre-workout or a fat burner, there are certain ingredients that you and I can go to a store right now or online and buy these products, but they are also not legal technically, right? Or it's not a technicality, it's the law. Yeah, so Fenibut is a good example of an ingredient that is not legal. Um, APA, the American Herbal Products Association, and a few other trade associations within the industry just put something out saying that these types of ingredients aren't compliant with DSHEA and the FDA regulations for dietary supplements. 
you go on Amazon, you can order that, have it delivered at your door the next day. Um, so yeah, there, there's always certain ingredients that are not compliant or may not be compliant with Deshaies or other FDA regulations, but are being sold. And I think that comes back to where are FDA's resources going towards? What's the most concerning? What's the, what's the most likely to cause harm to the consumer? And, you know, there, there's plenty of things out there right now that they're concerned with that, are, that they're taking enforcement action against. And you can see those warning letters, they're public. You can see which companies receive a warning letter. Uh, they're pretty much daily. So, but to answer your question, yeah, there's plenty of companies selling non-compliant ingredients. Yeah, I mean, you can go to, you know, we just saw it, the CBDIO. Well, yeah, we had an interesting discussion of, I'm going to say a semantics discussion on uh, what a, a CB brand and on their, um, their backdrop banner for their booth said uh, available at Amazon. One question on that, they actually gave us the two bottles. One of them for Amazon, it's hemp. But when I asked the guy, it says 1,500 milligrams. I'm like, of what? He's like, well, that, that CBD. I'm like, it doesn't say so anywhere. He's like, no, that, that's the Amazon bottle. So labeling becomes particularly important with something that as an industry, uh, different companies want to, uh, companies want to sell CBD. They want to sell hemp. Um, but when companies do it the wrong way, it kind of puts a stain on the rest of the industry. So yeah, mislabeling a product that is, that's a violation and it could be a crime. So if you're mislabeling a dietary supplement, you could receive a warning letter. You could receive civil action against you, which is going to cost you monetary damages. You're going to end up paying. Or you could end up, if it's that serious, you could end up under criminal investigation. So it's very important to make sure that these products are labeled properly and not disclosing to a consumer what's in your product that's something that the FDA is always going to be concerned with. You mean to tell me you're not telling the consumer what they're taking? That's a safety concern. How do you know how much how do you know how much to take? How do you know what to do if you get sick? How do you know what to do um, if there's a pro uh, problem with your product? So labeling is very important. Well, when, when, when you say proper, like proper labeling, right, if, um, if a consumer is going to any store, whether they're purchasing something online at Amazon or if they're going to a dispensary uh, or, you know, they're going to a supplements uh, retail store and they pick up a bottle, right, uh, or a protein blend with CBD, what sort of, um, you know, labeling should the consumer look for so that they know the quality or, you know, the legitimacy of this label? At, at this point, it, it's more difficult to really explain what a consumer should be looking for. But in my opinion, some of the examples of, of good labeling for a product like this, you want to make sure that all the components of a dietary suppl supplement label are on the product. So what does an ordinary dietary supplement need on the label? And it, it's required to have a net quantity of contents. How much product is in here? Is it one ounce, 10 ounces? That needs to be on the front of the label. 
they're missing that, that could be a, a red flag. Um, the word dietary supplement needs to be on the label. You can get fancy with it, and there's alternative ways of labeling it where you could say herbal supplement or botanical supplement, but it needs to be labeled as a supplement. If it's labeled as a food and it has a supplement facts panel, it's misbranded. What else do you need? So you need the name and address of the manufacturer or distributor. Who's making the product or who's selling the product needs to be on the label. If it's not on the label, how do you know who's providing the product? And even more importantly, how do you know who to contact if there's a problem? So that's a required statement. Supplement facts panel. That's where you're going to look to see what's in the product, how much CBD is in there, or how much hemp is in there. Are there calories? Is there fat? Um, what are the other ingredients that comes underneath the supplement facts panel? Is there MCT oil in it? Is there sunflower oil in it, uh, peanut oil? Are there allergens? These are all things that need to be on the label. So those are the basics. When you start getting more, I would say, more into voluntary label claims, things that don't necessarily need to be on the label, but companies choose to put them on there to either increase marketing or convey more messages to the consumer, there's various seals out there. Is the product made at a, at a facility that follows good manufacturing sure. practices or is it just made in some guy's bathtub? So that's something to look, look out for if you're a consumer. I want to know that whatever product I'm taking was manufactured in compliance with good manufacturing practices and I know that the product is being produced on equipment that's clean, that's there's not rodents running around, there's the warehouse has temperature control. So what if the temperature drops too low? Has CBD been around long enough so that we know what happens when the temperature fluctuates too much? What happens to the CBD content? These are all things to that are important to the consumer. Because if you're saying that the product has 25 milligrams of CBD in it, but it's stored in unsanitary conditions, that may change. And then what about the THC content? So maybe it starts off with 0.03% of THC in it. But if it's stored in a certain way or it's produced on equipment that also produces other chemicals, maybe that THC content is higher. And then it goes into, am I an athlete? Am I getting drug tested? Is this going to cause me to, to test positive? So those are some things to look for. I know that Banned Substances Control Group, which is a, a, a company that does banned substance testing for dietary supplements. Uh, Oliver Catlin is in charge of the company. And he has a hemp seal that he just launched. I'm sure you'll start seeing it pop up on different companies' products, and I can't speak on the specifics of it, but I know that it's a certification for where did this CBD come from or, or hemp. Um, so it's a little bit more credibility, a little bit more transparency. Consumer trust, right? right. So you know what you're getting in your product has been tested, uh, tested for banned substances or 
has it, does the level of THC that's, match? That's really important. And so here again, locally in Las Vegas, UFC fighters, uh, bodybuilders, powerlifters, Olympic lifters, endurance athletes, mm -hmm. common people sure. are taking CBD. And grandma, grandpa. Wa grandma, grandpa, everybody, arthritis, uh, topical, yeah. any way you can do it. And the thing is, WADA recently removed CBD from the banned substances list. So now you're telling me that there's actually the banned substance, like you can actually get a hemp seal. So if I'm a consumer, and again, this is personal, I'm asking you as a person, not as an attorney, mm -hmm. it would be to my benefit to look for that hemp seal then on a product. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think more companies will start leaning towards, if, if they're a legitimate company, they may start leaning more towards conveying to the consumer that, hey, our product was tested by a lab. These are the standards. Here's the test results. Right. So you can see for yourself. There, yeah. And consumers want transparency now, right? They want to see that there's not a proprietary blend of ingredients yeah. that I don't know how much of each ingredient is in there. They want to see what's in the product. They don't... Uh, they want to know what they're getting. Exactly. They want to know what's putting, going in their body. I mean, I know I do. I don't want to just ingest something and then say, eh, we'll find out later if, you know, this was CBD or this was high THC or, you know, what what is the product that I'm taking? Right, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think that, especially with something like WADA, right, um, if you test if you're an athlete that's under WADA rules and you test positive, I mean, that that is months or years of your career that are potentially at stake. Um, you could get suspended. You could get banned. You end up losing money, first sponsorships. Thing first thing somebody should do, any athlete, amateur, professional, if they do fail a test, What's your phone number again at the law firm? Yeah. <laughs> so if you do if you do fail a, a drug test, uh, whether it's WADA, um, if you're a first responder, uh, if you're in the NCAA, anything like that, if you fail a drug test for anything, the first person you should call is Rick Collins. Google his name. He's handled tons of cases for people that have tested positive for steroids and other banned substances and other controlled substances. So that should be your first phone call. And if I answer the phone, I'll pass them to Rick. And that's that's interesting. Just to kind of uh, give an example of something like this. And you know what? I would have reached as far as I could to connect um, this person with you guys. So I'm originally from Peru, and Peru just uh, got back to the World Cup after 36 years. One of their prime players, who has, you know, he's had a career in Germany, in different uh, countries in Europe, and now plays was playing in Brazil. During the qualification round in 2017, uh, he was he was playing with Peru on the national team in Argentina. Right after the the game, uh, mind you, he's been tested by WADA um, or the you know what whatever entity uh, tests uh, the the FIFA players after uh -huh. the games. Uh, I think over 20 times during qualifications. This time, he was tested positive for a chemical that starts with a B that is very similar to cocaine. And um, he was actually stripped from playing, um, you know, a lot of games. He had to go back to FIFA, right? But what's what's insane is even a category player like this um, had a lot of issues with his legal team. He mm -hmm. switched it three times mm -hmm. trying to defend himself. Sure. And you're talking a guy who, you know, 
who has sponsorships with Nike, you know, plays on the national team, you know, has a, a yearly contract of $10 million in Brazil. You know, he's um, kind of closing his, uh, his career. He's 34 years old, which is very old in, uh, in professional soccer. So, uh, but very quickly, I, I just wanted to introduce a, a legend that, that just uh, stepped into the room here. Uh, I, I know you guys haven't met yet. This is Matt Anderson, Jay. Hey, Jay, um, nice to meet you. Matt Anderson is the CEO of Vanguard Scientific. And I'll, I'll let you do a quick little intro, and then we'll get back to the combo, man. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, hey, everybody. Uh, this is Matt Anderson, uh, Vanguard Scientific. Pablo, thanks for having me on Fuel Talk. Uh, James, nice to meet you. Uh, Dave, good to see you again. Good to see you. Uh, yeah, real quick, Vanguard's a technology integration company coming from the medical device space. Uh, we deal in biopharmaceutics traditionally, plant-based medicines and natural ingredients. Over the past three years, the firm has really spent a lot of time poised into the endocannabinoid system, uh, phytometabolites, and hemp-derived CBD products. Uh, we focus on full-spectrum extracts and uh, manufacturing of efficacious medicines. Right on. I think you guys get that. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> right on. So we'll you know we'll we'll loop around because we have some experts here, right? That have to do with different parts of um, bringing a, a product from seed. To, to consumption, I think, right? Um, so we're talking a little bit about, um, you know, how, what approach should manufacturers or brands or marketers uh, take when um, bringing a product to market and how important the label uh, development and design um, and disclosure is, you know, for bringing something to the, cons to the consumer. Um, you know, we know that customers nowadays, they want to know everything that's on the label. Some customers now are even being um, exposed to certificate of analysis, C of A's, which is something that I learned from Dave. Dave, you wanna to touch a little bit about, you know, the importance of C of A's and maybe, you know, that's that, that would be something good to share with, with our audience because um, consumers, you know, should ask those, what yeah, we well, call smart questions maybe, right? When they're at a store or a dispensary somewhere. And it's something that um, you and I, when we ran into yesterday, when we're, we're walking through supply side, and Jay, you're probably in tune with this too, is a lot of the suppliers on the backside of the industry, I say it's, I, I explain it like this, they're, they're doing calculus, but the front end consumer is doing multiplication. And so in between that, we have, we're a consumer facing brand like Fuelixer, and how do we take all of that great information that they have from calculus and put into a simple multiplication table so that the end consumer can understand that. One of the things that Pablo and I talk about a lot, and it's not just Pablo and I, obviously the whole industry is talking about transparency, C of A, certificate of analysis. So when you run you know, the products and you get the QA, the QC done and everything, you have a certificate of analysis of basically, this is what's in the product, this is how much, per, like it tested out a hundred and something percent, you know, for, for that to back up the label claim. And then a lot of the times we'll have a third party testing or a certification now that I'm aware that the BSCG group is doing hemp, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start looking for that. If I'm gonna be looking for a CBD product, I definitely wanna have the one that has that. Even better if they have a QR code on the bottle that I can scan with my phone and pull up a C of A. And if I can do that multiplication table, because that's multiplication, that's not calculus. Mm -hmm. Calculus is what got that C of A, right? In, my, in the way I explain it. So I think the industry is heading that way. In fact, and I can just call out the, because if I say the world's largest retailer and Amazon pops in your head, I might as well just say Amazon is 
I believe heading towards a transparency program with some of their own products they have right now that you can scan the QR code and get the C of A for this for specific products. And I think what they want to do is transform the industry so that it's better for the consumers. And really that does fall under GIRS. That would be generally regarded as safe or safer if I could scan it and, and trust that that C of A is accurate and correct. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I, a few years ago, 10 years ago, you'd probably ask a consumer, do they care about a certificate of analysis? And your answer would be no. I don't even know what that means. But now the consumer's more educated. They're usually younger uh, than they used to be, and they're more concerned with what's going into their body. Natural flavors, artificial flavors, their coloring systems, um, you know, are the calories that are that are on the label actually what I'm consuming? So yeah, you're right. Uh, I think, I think knowing what's going into your body and knowing exactly what's in that bottle is is huge, and it's important to consumers now. So taking it a little bit step back, right? And, and Matt, maybe you can chime in on 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 this. Um, so, you know, we we've been talking about Ministry of Extraction and the extraction portion of all of this. No one, no one really knows that these supplements uh, have to go through this extraction process, right? I mean, we know it. We talk about it all the time, sure, twenty four seven, uh, and and you share it with everyone that you come in contact with. Uh, but in in the part of the extraction process, um, what do you think are some important certifications? And I think you know GMP cert certifications. You can speak to that. Um, happen within that extraction process, and what do you think the industry is doing? to share that process that you're creating, um, you know, for an end-to-end -end solution for your customers and clients around the world, how can you help that process kind of be delivered and uh, transcripted into maybe a marketing team or a sales team and have something more of like a consumer-facing um, message there? Yeah, sure. So that's a big topic. Thanks for the softball, Pablo. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting piece because it does kind of cover what you were, you were speaking about with James and David. Um, and that discovers, you know, what does the consumer have as a knowledge base? Um, you know, multiplication versus arithmetic. Um, and then the, the boundaries of FDA compliance, right? So there are no validated labels in this, in this marketplace because it's not a federally regulated product yet. So you're seeing a kind of a nascent nutraceuticals marketplace prior to the natural ingredients reform as you're starting to talk about what sort of these uh, phytocannabinoids um, or, or other terpenoid miners, again, metaphytometabolites and things along those lines that are coming out of these new plants and plant-based extracts. Um, efficacy and quality control is, is the largest piece of the conversation. And, and we're looking to the north as Canada's fully legalized cannabis um, under a CGMP protocol, uh, you know, people that understand good manufacturing practices uh, don't necessarily have a, a framework to care on the reasons why it's so important. But especially as you move into ingestible products, um, we work with a number of suppliers inside of the cannabis industry and the regulated markets that are focusing even further on standard quality food grade manufacturing or SQF grade three. Um, and what you're going to find, in my opinion, is these products are going to demand a higher value at at the retail register, right? The the consumers that you spoke of, Jay, is uh, the lifestyles of health and sustainability. You know, the Lojas demographic and the people that care about that panel. So, in, in an environment where you currently can't say 
uh, this is a therapeutic or beneficial product or take any sort of claims for well-being, um, what you really have to stand by is your certificates of analysis, right? So it's what's inside of this oil or extracted product. So Pablo, to the second half of your question, yeah, you, you know, a lot of a lot of our clients really value what Vanguard brings and the capability to deliver full spectrum extracts. And full spectrum then will show you on that COA um, the entire list of whether it's uh, tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, or CBD, or any of the other cannabinoids, or any of the other terpenoids or flavonoids or esters that create what this, you know, soon to be broadened narrative of the entourage effect will be in this plant-based medicine environment. Could you speak to the uh, to the you know GMP certification? Uh, I guess that aspect of of uh, of this portion. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, we touched on it earlier a bit about you know is is the manufacturer who's producing the end consumer product following good manufacturing practices and. The reason why it's so important is because whether the product is produced on machinery that's sanitized, clean, uh, are the employees trained, um, is the quality control there, are there rodents running around, is there temperature control? We touched on this. If, if, if that's not there, that's, that's like the bare minimum of what you need. And then, like you spoke of, there, there's additional measures, um, certificate of analysis, how detailed are they, how much information are they providing. All those things add value to the end product. And ultimately, if as an industry we're looking to bring legitimacy to CBD and full-spectrum hemp as a consumer product in the form of a dietary supplement, if we're not following those GMPs, it does a disservice to the ultimate goal of the industry to bring these products to a regulated marketplace where consumers can go into a dietary supplement or wellness store and pick up these products and, and purchase them for their own personal use. Um, and if we start, if the industry starts running around like cowboys and just making these products wherever and and not worrying about good manufacturing practices, then FDA is less likely to accept this as an industry. And that's where we run into trouble. I think, I think it, it's probably unfortunate, but right now we have some of the wild, wild west going on with CBD. Um, we've all seen examples of that um, without naming any, any names. There's some uh, products out there that shouldn't be out there. And another interesting thing to that piece is, as we're seeing the reformation of the tax farm bill here that's going to pass in 2019, the allowance for interstate commerce of uh, non-detectable cannabis and hemp-derived CBD products that have a below 0.00% THC uh, available content, you're going to start seeing that certificate of analysis be a benchmark to allow and unlock the opportunities for some of these larger limited partners like the Procter and Gambles of the world uh, to, to be able to start participating in what will probably become one of the largest ingredient commodities internationally. Agreed. What do you see, what do you see, the, uh, you know, with, or do you have customers and people asking you about the international aspect about CBD? Um, to be honest, not, not, not too much. I mean, we get some questions about exporting. I would say the more, more question that I get on a regular basis is, can I go across state lines? Uh, how can I ship my product? 
Um, if my, is my product going to get seized? And as an attorney, I mean, again, it's risk management. It's, um, it's is DEA going to pick this up in interstate commerce? Is FDA? Uh, I would never advise a client to do something that I think is illegal or that is illegal under statute or law. So, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a question I get a lot within the states. Um, I, I mean, I'm probably getting five calls about CBD a week. Uh, everybody wants to know about it. Everybody's interested in it. Everybody wants to get into it. But before you just jump into it, there's a ton of considerations. So, you know, my job is to provide the best counsel that I possibly can so that you're going into this with a knowledge base of the risk level, the legal status, and, and what can you do to help this industry, if, if that is your goal, move forward. You know, the, the, I want to just kind of, if we can say, if we can kind of say, like, let's table the legal aspect just for a second. And what I would like to touch on is of these companies that are out there and they have an insurance policy. Okay. So they're, when we're, you know, as a consumer, I'm buying the product and the person that's like, oh, yeah, you know, that, that brand, yeah, and they're insured. Oh, they're insured. Um, Are there exclusions in insurance policies that prevent, you know, like that the company may not even be aware of, like they think they're covered and they're not. Do you want to roll with this one or me? Well, you're the lawyer. <laughs> well, <laughs> not an insurance adjuster, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, from what I understand, um, there are very, there are only a handful of companies that will insure CBD or hemp products at this point in time. And the 2018 farm bill will help with that. Um, it'll also help with credit card processors. I know a lot of clients uh, ask or, or call about how can I get a credit card processor to accept, you know, payments on behalf of these products. And it's, it's, it's a valid question. And I think at this point, it's, it's something that the 2018 farm bill is, we need to see how that plays out. Because like you said, um, there may be an insurance policy that says, okay, we're insuring your, your product, but only if this, this, and this happens. But if this happens, you're not insured. Yeah, so I, I can add, again, anecdotal, um, the disclaimer right on Fuel Talk that I by no way know what I'm talking about, just uh, I'm a lowly medical device uh, sales guy. So <laughs> um, that being said, as, as soon as you cross over into physical consumption or human consumption, the FDA has got a, a number of blanket statements tied through a number of agencies and the reinsurance company clauses that actually insure the insurance companies are where the scapegoat kind of clause exists from my counsel's knowledge. And what it basically says is, look, we'll insure you uh, to buy, sell, manufacture, distribute, and retail these products, but the point in which you have a third-party claim from a human being, that's kind of out of our jurisdiction, and we'll refer to the federal advisory standards from the FDA. So from that point, depending on the magnitude of the case, I would argue your, your good standing with your law firm or the amount of money you've given to your local regulators, uh, I think it'll be uh, assessed on a case-by-case basis. Fair enough. Good answers. Good answers. Yeah, I mean, as a as get a cons- out, get out there and shake hands. Yeah, right. right? No, but uh, yeah, because as a consumer, I mean, you know, listening to these experts speak, and again, you know, it's none of this is professional advice. But as a consumer, I, I'm still, if I'm going to a shelf 
and I'm in a dispensary, I'm in a vitamin shop, I'm anywhere where there's a hemp or it's a CBD or it's on Amazon and it's hemp but it's actually CBD or not, there, there's really no, there's, there's no guide, there's no place I can really look to. There, there isn't, there isn't, but the, at the same time, you know, like, and I'm not saying I ever did this, right? But before all of this came to public and market and cannabis was growing and how were people consuming cannabis? You know, you maybe use a beeper, call a guy on a cell phone, get it delivered somewhere. <laughs> did you really care about the C of A? And did you really, you know, were you looking at the facts? However, people who are consuming CBD are a much different profile, right? So th there is that market who is looking and they're very much worried about like, what's going in there, what's not. But then there's also consumers who just want to buy it because they're curious. Right. Right. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a cycle. So right now it's getting so popular and people are hearing about it. It's a buzzword, referrals. People are talking about it at dinner tables. Thanksgiving, I'm sure someone is going to talk about cannabis or CBD. Someone, right? It doesn't matter who it is. Uh, but they're, they're curious about it. So if someone has like a sample of it and they're like, hey, can you, can you, some people are even embarrassed to go to a dispensary right, and, and buy some of these products. So they'll just ask for, hey, can you bring me one? So kind of like, how, how does the industry, um, how do you think it's going to grow and kind of turn that cycle, um, you know, as far as providing this information that we're talking about now? Well, I think some of the things that <clears throat> we've touched on here, like, especially when I heard like that hemp certification is really in my mind right now like where I'm, yeah, there's something to look into like that's yeah, very good and it, it reminded me of something too and again going back years ago um when i was in college the american college of sports medicine uh textbooks had a, very plainly it was only like one or two sentences that anabolic steroids absolutely do nothing for human muscle mass they do not work you take them and you're just going to ruin your health and die and you're not going to be, you're going to be less muscular. And then what happened in 1988 is this guy named Ben Johnson out of Canada won the Olympics and he tested positive for stenozolol, Winstrol. And the whole story, everybody can go Google and look it up. But basically, AC, the textbook changed. They actually had to uh, delete that. A lot of people didn't know the history that in 1956, Dr. John Ziegler went to Russia and actually for rugby pharmaceuticals developed a drug called Dianabol specifically to build muscle in athletes. That's what it was for. It wasn't to cure anything. It was So the whole thing about looking at that industry, steroids, and like how it was a word of mouth, you know, you're buying it from some guy in the locker room out of his gym bag and that, and all of a sudden it became, now there's TRT, there's low T, there's hormone plays. Like there's a whole legitimate industry side to it. And, you know, again, I just, how I parlay that over to what we're talking about with cannabis is I think what you were telling me is, there's a lot of people out there who accept anecdotally like this gets me this, be it THC for recreation or glaucoma or if it's the cannabidiol for whatever, the CBD, whatever they're taking it for, whatever they've been told. And they're saying that it works. And then somebody is actually doing some work on the other side and the science side saying, well, wait a minute, it, this actually is true. There is an endocannabinoid system. There isn't, you, your body doesn't have an ibuprofen system but it's got an endocannabinoid system. So, hey, maybe there is something to this as an anti-inflammatory. You know, your body doesn't have a Zoloft system, but it's got an endocannabinoid system and this affect your brain and maybe you don't need these anti-anxiety drugs. So I, I think that's what you're telling me is that there's this underground grassroots kind of shift that's going to occur. And we have been witness to some of that at these X. I mean, compare last year's experience at Supply Side West where there was, I think, one or two CBD exhibitors to this year where there's 30, 40, I, I lost count. How many were there? I mean, 
We also go to the Arnold in Ohio and the Mr. Olympia competition in, in Vegas, and those are bodybuilding shows. And they're consumer shows also where consumers walk around with big bags and they open it up for free samples. And there were probably five to ten different companies selling CBD at these bodybuilding shows. So it's not just it's not just limited. It, it's growing to even bodybuilding shows and, and just various consumers across the board. It's it's definitely expanding. Well, again, you know, and, and my friends in the gym industry would tell, I'll use words that bodybuilders will understand. They'll say for post-cycle therapy, which means when they've in between their steroid cycles, restoration, restoration phase, and also a lot of the plant base. And you could argue alkaline versus acidity and all that, whether that's hold any water or not but the fact is a lot of them are switching to plant-based for like a you know a few weeks cleaning your system is what they would say and they're switching over to like again the cbd you don't have a ibuprofen system you have an endocannabinoid system so they've tapped into this and in a lot of ways the early adopters are actually a little bit more intelligent or a lot more intelligent than they get credit for yeah so like you said um anecdotally we have a, a lot of things we have it helps with this it helps with that but uh, I'm going to default back to legal first and that's just where I'm comfortable but as we're with the overall goal in mind of moving this industry forward in a positive direction one of the things that are extremely important is claims substanti substantiation uh, are the claims that you're making on your label or your website or that you're even speaking about in a video substantiated and um, evidenced by scientific research that's been studied, that's been evaluated by experts in the field in an objective manner. Anecdotal evidence doesn't fit that definition. So what we do need as an industry moving this forward is good research, good studies, uh, clinical or at least close to clinical studies that are done in humans, not in mice, not in rats. I know it's been said that we've cured cancer a thousand times in rats, but you know we, we can't necessarily do it in humans. So to put forth this, res this research and the evidence to build so that we can make, so that consumers can make these claims on their labels and on their website is extremely important because right now, what is CBD approved for? seizures as a dietary supplement you, you cannot treat cure or prevent seizures that's a disease what kind of claims are dietary supplement companies allowed to make general health and well-being claims or structure function claims how does this product affect the normal and healthy structure function of the human body in order to make those claims without getting into trouble with the ftc and the fda or even worse, a class action attorney, is to have those studies to support the claims that you make. So if a company, for example, wanted to say that this is a recovery or a CBD that helps promote recovery, if the FTC came forward and said, okay, what's your evidence for this? I would say nine out of 10 of these companies aren't going to have a shred of paper to put forward. So these companies need to keep in the back of their mind that they, not, not in the back of their mind, the front of their mind, if you're going to make claims, you need to have the documentation before you make those claims, not after. So 
claims are, are a huge part of. And when it comes to those claims, would it be specific to the actual product or just the ingredients in the product? So anything that you say as a company, whether it's on your website or on your label, even if it's said that CBD has been researched to help or studied to help support this, that, and the other thing, if it's on something that's connected to your product, it's considered advertising and it must be substantiated. Yeah, so one of the interesting things that I've seen because I've faced this and I've now been in, I guess, this industry for about five years uh, professionally is um, similar to natural products and uh, international pharmacopoeia and nutritional supplements, you'll see Canada and the LPs begin to spend significant dollars on clinical research organizations and clinical trials. Um, GW Pharmaceutics overseas and Hortifarm their original source genetics provider, along with the research being done by T. Kunolam and Dr. Mishulam in Israel, um, are, are really leading the edge of saying non-anecdotal clinical research for cause-based uh, use cases. Um, but you make the, the, the very valid point is, even on a website, your counsel, as long as they're really trying to protect you from a class action lawsuit most fearfully, all you can do is list a link and basically state an excerpt from that, you can't even put your own, what would be called marketing language around that link. And you might even tell me that that's a risk. So, uh, no, I, you make a really valid point. So if you put a link on your website, right, and that link says CBD cures seizures, that is a disease claim. The link itself is a claim. If the link doesn't have a disease claim in it, and it's just a, a generic link that says CBD research or something along those lines, and then the consumer clicks on it and it takes them to a different site, it's less considered a claim. But it can still be. If the FTC, if the FTC or the FDA wants to interpret it as a claim, they will. So, and and that that's the hard reality of it, everybody. But the the branding consuming marketing package retail companies, if I was in their shoes, which I'm not, I, I would say, look, if there is validated and substantiated international claims about a certain ingredient, then I'm going to put nothing on my box. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to list the ingredients and allow the consumers to absorb the rest of the, the ether that is new digital media. So that's a really, that's a, an excellent point because what is the point of making claims? to sell product for the most part, to convey a message to the consumer. When a product is this popular, to the point with CBD, everybody knows what it is, everybody knows what it does or what it's supposed to do, um, you don't need to hard sell something like that. Or at least I don't think that it's necessary. Um, with something that's not as well known, if it's a new thing and you're trying to really educated consumer, you may need to say more about it. As you say more things, your risk level goes up with anything. Um, you start explaining more and more and more. Um, there's more room for a, co a consumer or an attorney to say that they were misled, that they were deceived, that this was misleading advertising. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot of companies, especially the bigger ones, have chosen not to make any claims at all. And that is a strategic move to reduce risk. And it, it's not, in my opinion, it's not a bad move. It's not necessarily a great move because 
some companies want to make certain claims and, and some consumers will not know what exactly it is that this product does. But as the research that you pointed to continues to expand and grow, then certain claims you'll start seeing pop up and, and be substantiated, which is overall great for the industry. Right. Because uh, I know you know you've been in the industry. Uh, a big knock on the dietary supplement industry is that claims are just made and, and then they're, they're unregulated. We don't even know whether or not this product does what it says it does. Well, that may be true, but I think that the trend in the industry is more towards, well, that's not the case anymore. It may have been a little more of the Wild West back in the day, but now we're moving towards these claims need to, consumers need to see that these claims are supported. And to Pablo's point earlier about a more educated consumer, so one of the things I know with Felix or Labs is they talk about what's in the product. So instead of saying, like, what's in the product does this for you, we leave that to the consumer. The consumer is going to know how is this going to affect my biochemistry, physiology, whatever. But if you can just show them, then it would be a much, I would say, probably less, less exposure to risk if you just focused on the purity and quality and standard of what is in the product, what the product is. Yeah, so another, uh, in, in my opinion, another reason for making claims is to differentiate yourself. Well, there's a million creatine products out there. How, how is mine going to sell? Well, I'm going to make claims. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have... 18,000% better absorption. Exactly. I'm going to really, I'm going to sell this product. Uh, there are other ways to differentiate yourself, especially in, a, in something like, like hemp or CBD. What are you providing that other companies aren't? A certificate of analysis, a seal, um, some kind of testing program where consumers can see what's in the product. Traceability. Uh, where, was, where did this CBD begin and where did it end up? Um, there's tons of ways to differentiate yourself that don't necessarily involve making claims. Right. So that, yeah, again, farm to finish product or seed to shelf as anybody wants to. Yeah. So that, and again, I think that if, um, and we're not seeing, surprisingly, we're not seeing that. We're seeing actually a lot of the claims, but I think that the unique differentiators for like a Fuelixer or for a handful of other brands are actually focusing on internally on what is in the product and what they're bringing to the shelf, which is the smarter thing to do then. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you bring a great product, sales will come, consumers will enjoy what you're, what you're putting out there. But the first thing you need to bring to the table is a, a good product. Like, that's, that's the minimum, and then you build from there. So, yeah, I agree. Have you had anyone ask you about uh, vape pens and uh, labels on, on, on vape pens? So... In the dietary supplement industry, generally, uh, a dietary supplement can only be taken orally and intended for digestion. Vaping is regulated completely separately from the dietary supplement industry, but it's still regulated by the FDA. Different set of rules. I'm not an expert in that area of vaping. It, it's, it's still in flux from what I understand. There's different components that are that are moving. There's there's a more concern towards the safety of children and f different flavors being marketed as targeting children. 
So then when you add something like CBD or marijuana to that, I think it increases FDA scrutiny over the, the category as a whole. But there are, in addition to CBD being vaped, uh, there are certain companies that are selling vapes that are vitamin vapes. Uh, vape your vitamins is like the, the new thing. If I'm going to put on my uh, predictor hat here, I would say that FDA is probably going to come down pretty hard on a few companies. Well, we just, we just witnessed earlier today like the salted chocolate caramel tobacco vape and it's like yeah or the um the sour patch kids flavored gummy worm flavor like those aren't targeting adults but they're tobacco products and and in all reality that you know i think those i think the point that you're making is like that the fda or is they're aware oh yeah they're they're definitely aware and you know like i said fda's primary concern is safety and when you start messing with kids and there's something to stand behind uh and there's an agenda there to protect the children People are going to get behind it. And if you're pumping flavors that are Sour Patch Kids or Warhead or whatever the candy is, and it's in the form of a, a inhalable nicotine product, they're going to say that you're marketing it towards kids. And then if you start talking about vaping your vitamins, something that I don't know of any, any evidence that shows that that's safe or effective, uh, you're, you're asking, in my opinion, you're asking for, for either a warning letter or worse, which is criminal or a class action. I don't think many athletes are going to be vaping anytime soon, right? But maybe in the MMA, right? Maybe in MMA. We got Nate Diaz, right? Doing it right on stage, wasn't he? He was vaping a CBD pen. Exactly. Yeah, so. But yeah, it's definitely, a, it's definitely a, another popular method, but it, it's, I don't think it's going to be in the same category as what, what the dietary supplement industry is trying to do. I think that would be more of a dispensary kind of thing or, or if eventually marijuana is, is legalized, then, then go ahead. That's kind of like the, the question that, that keeps popping up in my mind, which is so over the next two years, five years, ten years, where what's you know your predictor hat put it back on and let us know like what do you think within the next two five or ten years the hemp industry as a whole is going to be and how is it going to affect the nutritional supplement side um i think that once the farm bill if it passes i think that's going to open up a a more clear path to see where this is heading I don't think we're slowing down the consumer side of it. I don't think FDA or DEA can reel that back in. So I think the the way that the way that this is going to shake out is that there's going to be specific regulations that are or guidance documents. FDA will put out guidance documents as to what their current thinking is as to how you can sell these products. What do you need to do? How do you need to label it? And kind of the steps that in their minds, which is basically do this, uh, that companies should be following. I think that we're going to see, uh, I think we're going to see CBD may not be allowed, but hemp extract will move forward. I think a full spectrum hemp or, or... Full spectrum meaning full spectrum CBD THC. Yeah, so that you're not isolating the CBD itself 
and selling that to the consumer. Yeah, and I, and I think that so there's a, there's a couple of things there. That's the very the really interesting part about cannabidiols is there's CBD, uh, there's CBG, there's CBV, there's CBA. There's cannabinoid receptors that do a myriad of things, and and then there's a thing called terpenes that exist in all plants, and these modulate what the cannab cannabidiols do in the endocannabinoid system. So when you start talking about arithmetic or multiplication, it, it is above even my pay grade, and I've spent some time with some very bright people discussing it. Talking around hemp and what it would look like in the future, I, I can kind of dimensionalize it some because from our side, uh, we sell technology integration solutions all the way from extraction to remediation, whether it's remediating THC, out of uh, hemp or cannabis products, remediating pesticides to create C of A clear products to be able to sell into the markets. The order of magnitude from cannabis to hemp is staggering. Um, so to put some dimension on it, 2018, I think we'll see the, the cannabis industry domestically at around $10 billion. Uh, Forbes and some of the larger predictive indexes, uh, like the Brookings Institute, is saying things like $25 billion by 2020 would be the domestic GDP of total, including ancillary products. It's a staggering growth. It's actually faster than broadband, fastest growing industry in the world's history. But now set that next to what some of the largest chemical and largest agricultural companies have said about hemp. They say that hemp will be the third largest crop and commodity worldwide inside of a decade, and they're quoting into the trillions. So when you start looking at, to your point, Jay, whether it's going to be CBD or hemp, I think they have to start at a broader categorization and allow the consumers to make the justification for themselves on why they're taking it because we're not just talking about one or two ingredients, CBD versus THC. There's a myriad of plant-based medicines, and I think that what we're going to see here, like we said, is a crack open, and then the conversation just immediately broaden the spectrum to a freedom of consciousness all the way through to curative properties versus treating ailments. There's no Zoloft system in the body, like you said, Dave. And, and I think as we look at Eastern medicine and that stigma of woo-woo Eastern medicine goes away, as we look at the nutraceutical space and natural ingredients and natural supplement space continue to upregulate themselves, the quality of products and the willingness of the consumer to learn about their ingredients to take care of themselves is going to drive this from a consumer's point of view. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. Thank you. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a magical plant. That it is. And it's, it's very complex and it's very dynamic. And this is just the beginning of learning all of this. Well, the, or, or is it? I mean, in a certain sense, I want to I want to give you guys, you know, Pablo hears me say this a lot. It's like there was a prohibition period. 1920 to 1933 with alcohol, and yet somehow there are certain companies, I'm going to pick Anheuser-Busch, was founded in 1872. How is that possible? Didn't they go out of business in 1920? Yes. Yeah, so, okay, so hemp was, um, it was mandatory for all the Jamestown settlers, if they had crop, to actually grow hemp, mandatory. Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson uh, grew cannabis. George Washington had hemp plants. Uh, during World War II, they actually had to bring back hemp crop into production and, and ran the campaign Hemp for Victory because it was the strongest and fastest fiber they could create for ropes for ships. Um, it is the single largest source of plant-based protein in the world. Um, it's got more omega-3 in its seeds than salmon does. 
Um, and that's before we start talking about it as a combustive fuel, saying it burns 85% cleaner than methanol. So this really is a magical plant, as we talk about. It's a regenerative plant for the soil. Um, and one would argue that it was regulated out of production, uh, just at risk of the, the, the industries that would not have existed to the magnitude that they'd existed today. And arguably the guiding forefathers of our nation and the world said, look, we have multiple industries we're trying to foster to be able to support jobs. Uh, and, and this crop might stand in the way of that productivity or workforce availability. So it's a brave new world um, with this plant. And I think you guys and what, what's been discussed, and I'm fortunate to be here for part of this topic, is just scratching the surface. Yeah, I mean, this could be a, a, a three-day podcast uh, if we went into every single point. Um, the reason why I said earlier that I think it'll go more towards hemp and less towards CBD isolate being allowed as a dietary supplement is is because of the drug component of it. Uh, once once a product or an ingredient is authorized for investigation as a a new drug and there's been substantial clinical studies and those studies have been made public, if the dietary supplement was not sold prior to that, then it's excluded from the definition of a dietary supplement. So the FDA says that prior to GW's authorization for investigation, CBD was not sold as a dietary supplement. And you can argue with them, and some companies say that it has, and the Hemp Industry Association says that it has, but... In the FDA's mind, no. So what I think is that the focus should be on hemp as an extracted hemp that comes from the plant itself and is less isolated because then you get further away from what Epidiolex is, which is a really purified form of CBD. So I just wanted to clarify that a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, good advice. Yeah, it's strong. All right, guys. Well, I think you know we've come a a long ways. It was a it was a journey, you know, speaking from the from the very beginning, uh, hitting different angles with uh, this this plant that has been gifted to us uh, by by Mother Nature. So I definitely appreciate um, you know the different uh, minds that have come around this this subject here today. Um, do you guys have any any other closings? I know, you know, could you tell us a little bit about um, how people can contact you if they have further questions in regards to the legal aspects of CBD and hemp? Sure. So um, you could find us on our website, thesupplementcouncil.com, which is, uh, you know, I didn't come up with it, but it's actually the perfect, perfect name for a website. Uh, and our law firm's name is Collins, Gann, McCluskey, and Barry. We're located in New York. We have an of counsel attorney in California, and we handle all types of cases for dietary supplement companies, regulatory components, label reviews, website reviews, anything from A to Z that you would need as a dietary supplement company. And I've been focusing a lot on CBD. So if you need me, you can find me on my on the website, or you could call us 516-294-0300. 
Right on. Thank you. Dave, if people want to contact and hit you up, maybe on LinkedIn or something with some, uh, LinkedIn, uh, some contact, calculus questions. Contact Felix or and I also and, and also Pablo, <clears throat> I also not only do I want to thank you for all of the awesome because Fuel Talk has so many episodes and this, but I also want to thank Jay for coming out here to Las Vegas. And also I want to thank Matt for coming out to Las Vegas and being on this with you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure sharing some space with you guys. Uh, and, and one last thing as well, you know, if you're a wholesaler, um, manufacturer, distributor, marketer, uh, brand creator, uh, you know, it might be interesting and, and good um, time spent um, asking a little bit, you know, more second level, third level questions in regards to how this product uh, is being extracted and what kind of processes are taking place, what kind of methods and protocols, um, because, you know, someone... Um, you know, coming from, from that very specific space, which Matt Anderson uh, has, has a lot of knowledge and, and continues to grow that and bring it to market, um, you know, it's really important, that process, and also being able to tell that story to the consumer, right? So if anyone wants to find out more about uh, Vanguard Scientific, man, how could uh, how can they reach out? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the easiest way to connect with me directly would be LinkedIn. Um, you can search for Vanguard Scientific on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Matthew Anderson. Uh, just reference the Fuel Talk chat here today, and I'll be sure to get back to you or have someone be able to set up a phone call for us. Uh, you can also head over to Vanguard Scientific to learn a little bit more about what we're doing. That's vanguardscientific.com. Uh, you can click the link, right? Um, but yeah, it, it's a brave new world, as I said. Uh, we have the opportunity to work with some of the best and brightest and most regulatory compliant operations uh, in United States, Canada, and globally, um, and, and hope to continue to see Bright Minds show up and, and provide good insight and advice as, as our clients and other folks drive forward to build the next, uh, I guess, the fastest growing industry in the world, we could say. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting, guys. Thank you so much.